And it's in the title of the conference, SF24, Building Hope. It's tapping into people's hope that they'd like to see something, whatever it might be, a bit different, and empowering change, the other part of the title. But it's not just inspiring your hope, it's saying, well, do something about it. So even very small contributions are amplifying this positive energy of hope to make the difference. And it's built beat by beat in that way. That's one thing about human beings is that we wake up every day, we're a different person to the person we were the day before. And SF wakes up every day, and every day it is a different organism because there's something new. That is Simply Focus with every journey and Dominic Gouda for life and joy and peace. Are you ready for this new episode? Then please welcome your hosts, Elfie Cherney and Dominic Godin. Welcome back, everyone, to episode number 105. We're here with Paul Seth Jackson and Steve Flett today. Hello and welcome. Hello. Nice to be here. Hi. And we're excited to talk with you about something very, very exciting coming up. SF24, Building Hope, Empowering Change. And we'll be talking about that in a few seconds. But first, what is it, Steve, that fascinates you with Solution Focus? Well, many years ago in another life, I was an engineer and I used to build racing cars. You only have one outcome when you build racing cars and that's to be the first person across the line. So my focus has always been on outcome. And when I retrained in psychology and psychotherapy, I was rather bemused by the fact that all the trainings that I was given seemed to be focused on process rather than outcome. And then I've been working reasonably successful for about 15 years. And then I came across Susie Curtis, who was doing her training as a clinical psychologist at Lancaster, and she needed a supervisor. And for some bizarre reason, she chose me. But she was fascinated by solution-focused practice because that was one of the second choice that she had in her clinical psychology training. She introduced me to it. And I think it's probably reasonable to say that the rest is history. We now have a professional relationship that spans continents more by accident than by design. And the fascination with me, SF isn't a paradox. And because at the end of the day, we ask open questions that have no sense of direction yet very clearly produce a direction for the person that we're working with. And that purpose is unmistakable, but it's not our purpose, it's theirs. And that, to me, is remarkable. So that was where my fascination developed from. And now you're involved with the racing car of psychotherapy. Indeed, very much so, yes. This is definitely the racing car of psychotherapy. Wow. What is it for you, Paul, that fascinates you about Solution Focus right now? We talked about that in episode number 79, and it's always interesting to hear maybe also what changed. At the moment, it's how something that was formulated as a very specific way of doing one-to-one or family psychotherapy is now expanding into all kinds of different settings such as this conference that we're going to talk about that goes way outside of a therapy room into organizations, social change. And it seems that there's elements within whatever solution focus might be that are very engaging for people and that do create these senses of possibility and different directions that we're all hoping we might take and that it creates great conversations about those leading often to racing car souped up action. 
And the two of you are very actively involved in the UK SFP and are also very much involved in this conference, in this upcoming conference, SF24, Building Hope, Empowering Change, that will take place from August 6th to August 7th this year, 2020. So how did this idea of this conference came about? Or what's your favorite story about that right now? Okay. It began simply because, or at least I understand that there were ideas for this long before we actually came up with this. It came out of the pandemic, really, because I was leading the organization of the UK SFP conference for this year, which was due to run in June, and the date's passed now. And when the pandemic and the lockdown came in in this country, became very apparent that that conference was not going to happen. We cancelled it. And we had some conversations around the committee table. And somebody said, why don't we do a virtual conference? I think it was Tara Gretton that kind of came up with the idea. And we mulled it around a bit. And then I'm not quite sure what happened, but I think I sent Paul an email um, saying, you know, we've got this kind of vague idea and we haven't really got any goals or outcomes or anything like that. And Paul immediately responded and we just started to develop it from there. And it's been through many iterations. A couple of years ago, I was very inspired by Dominic and Elfie had run a virtual conference in German. And we discussed this with the possibility of doing a virtual event in English. And that didn't happen at that time. But now with the pandemic and UK SFB involvement, the time seems right. So I got all those notes back out again and started to feed some of those ideas into how we would create this virtual conference SF24. And SF24 refers to it being a 24-hour conference, which is what makes it global because we're passing the hosting around from region to region every six hours. So 24 hours around the world. That's right. And we've got people from around the world engaged now in being the hosts, looking after the technical area for their six-hour slot and putting together programs. So we have a shared program making document, but each region can do what they want with that. So there'll be all kinds of flavors and varieties as it moves around the world. The only struggle is going to be staying awake for the whole time. So who is involved and what can we be looking forward to? There are over 30 people now in the organizing team. I think I'd like to make one thing clear. SFIO and UKSFP have agreed to sponsor this and to put in any money or costings, but neither organization is owning this. It is not owned by anybody. And I think I'd like to make that very clear. And one of the reasons for that is that we wanted to be very sure that each region could do what they wanted with this, that it wasn't limited by a structure or a particular identity, if you like. So that was really important. We can be looking forward to a conference that's not only for people who are already practitioners of Solution Focus, but something that's a bit more wide-ranging and is where the ideas and practices of SF meet the current needs of the world as we see it for more collaboration, better conversations, new ideas on how do we organize our lives socially and politically, because we've had this big shock worldwide of a pandemic, and it's created an opportunity for a new way of thinking about things. And we've noticed during the time of lockdown that it was very possible and very desirable to make connections around the world. There's no geographical boundary, just technical boundaries. And some wonderful conversations have come out from that. So the SF London Group, which meets regularly in person when we're able to, has transitioned to online. 
and suddenly we're getting more guests from around the world who want to be part of that SF London conversation. And it's great. It's really lifted the level. Things are missing when you can't meet face-to-face, but other things become possible virtually. And we really want to explore that both as the process and as the content of this conference. Talking about the process, how you set up this process, you said there was this poll between you and us, a conversation, and there were different conversations that Steve had, and the idea emerged of doing something online, then Steve reaching out to Paul, and, you know, like you said, I don't know what happened then, and it's like just this beauty of when you do something in a solution-focused way, I feel that, yeah, things just naturally evolve or emerge and I wonder what you contributed to that. It's a combination of the solution-focused ideas and the improvisational ideas of emergence, making use of the resources that are available to you, taking turns, doing things with small steps, having a vision of what you would like it to be that's gradually improved as more people contribute to it. And also enough structure. So we had a list of people that we wanted to invite to get involved first so that it would have that geographical spread. If we needed some funding, we put that in place with UKSFP and SFIO. We had from the very beginning a shared document so that people could record ideas in writing as well as verbally. And we made sure Steve was brilliant at this, that we kept having meetings every few weeks to move the thing along and keep the momentum going. So there's a bit of structure there and also a lot of freedom. And that seems very characteristic of how you would do a solution-focused project, whatever that might be. And it's a good example of it being nothing to do with therapy, but still all to do with those ideas of how that works. And also very improvisational, yes, using resource. I'm sure that's recognizable to all those communities. And it also sounds very agile to use this word as well. <laughs> yes, um, It's not an accident that these ideas are now prevalent in the world. The world is no longer very well seen as mechanical, predictable, and mechanistic. It's much more complex, chaotic even at times, clearly contingent, <laughs> unplanned in so many ways, and responsive to different inputs that people can make. But an input on our own is often not as effective as something that we do with others that has that interactional energy and quality and takes the best of what's working and leaves the rest behind. So you gathered all those people you have met online, you are doing that in a solution-focused improvisational way, and there are some really already great outcomes coming out of that. Building hope, empowering change, the title, SF24, your best hopes, you said a vision. What were some of the solution-focused questions you asked at those meetings that also helped to make all that possible? What will it look like? Perhaps a little bit of history. When Paul and I first started this whole project, well, we thought that what we were going to have was a relatively brief three-hour conference with a number of people contributing from all around the world. And that was kind of how it began. And then as more and more people gathered to the organizing committee and more and more ideas came through, there was this kind of enlargement of the vision. And I think after one meeting, I actually pulled back and said, you know, we've now finished up with 24 hours and four time zones. Do you think we can do this? And Paul just quite blasé said, yeah, let's just see what happens or something along those lines. And basically, we've just run with it. And, and the more that we allow it to run free, and this is an expression I use a lot, is that I love it when SF runs free. 
when it's not restricted, when it isn't corralled. And the therapy room is a good example of when SF, I think, is corralled. It's very much nailed down. And when you allow that real creativity just to run free in the community or in a bunch of people, you get generation of far more ideas. And as a result, we've now finished up with lots of people. But actually what we finished up with is twice the length in each of the time zones uh, with lots of people all engaged with it. And Paul and I have finished up with probably less work than we would have done if we'd have had a three-hour conference around the world. We did have the three-hour conference. True, yeah. That did take place. So there was, back in May, we had that first three hours and about 80 people came to a Zoom call and we had Frederick Banik present some provocative ideas. We had breakout groups of people discussing things. People talked about what they were valuing in the period of lockdown that they might want to keep to the new circumstances. And people wanted to keep this conversation going. And it was from the continuation of that. I think this is another thing that happens in the virtual world, that you don't have to be so pinned down to one time, the date when everyone can go to the same place for their conference. So while we have this conference in August, it's probably going to be one event amongst a whole series of events that happened both before and afterwards, because communities and interest groups and gatherings will spin off from that. And we have that technology and willingness for it to continue, while it's still very difficult to go and meet in one place at one time altogether. Mm. As Steve, you said, let SF run free. Mm. How do yeah. you do that? You just ask the questions and see what happens. Again, I have another famous phrase that I use quite a lot, which is, I never fight set-piece battles with people. I always carry out a guerrilla action. And so consequently, guerrilla action is asking a question and standing back and see what happens. Rather than having an argument with somebody about what's right or wrong, you just ask the question and see what happens. And that seems to me to be a basic tenet of SF, is that you've no idea what the answer is going to be. So you ask the question and then see what the next answer is. There's also something about encouraging people when they come forward with an answer. Mm. So people had ideas that they wanted to put in about what platform to use, how to market it, who else they'd like to be involved, topic titles for sessions, guests for panellists. And all these ideas are first documented so that they're at least registered and noticed. And then the ones that attract any kind of attention or support get amplified and taken forward. So it's very inviting. Very inviting. And well, what I noticed from this process, also a very effective process, because you can see how people are engaged and how they're involved and how quick in a committee of 30 people decisions can be taken and yeah, things can move forward. This is really beautiful to see in this process. So what are your best hopes from this conference? Oh, for me, it would be to see each of the four regions putting together a program that I'm really keen to attend and that attracts people who are new to SF as well, so that there are fresh, different, more expansive conversations happening. But it's well-structured so that there are formats that make really good use of people's time. They're hearing great ideas, they're watching coaching demonstrations, they're participating in a conversation about how they want their future to be, they're seeing possibilities of connecting SF ideas to their own line of work, that maybe there's some book reviewing going on in one corner, and people can wander around the different virtual rooms and really have a very wide-ranging experience that brings them some immediate value and also excites them as to those future possibilities. Yeah, I think I completely agree with all of that. I mean, we have that common vision. I think the only thing that I would possibly add to that 
it's that I would like to see, Paul says, you know, a huge range of things that are going on, but actually introducing people to the idea that this is much bigger, a much broader way of thinking and a way of approaching the difficulties that the world faces at the moment in a new and optimistic kind of way. I'm hoping to invite some politicians and community leaders and people like that to a panel so that they can be introduced to the idea, but also introduce their ideas, which are very similar to the people I've got in mind. Their ideas are very similar and they've never heard of SF, but yet they're doing it. And it's about kind of creating those connections without kind of saying, well, you must adopt our ideology. And that's the great thing about SF. It's not an ideology. It's the way of thinking. Yes, you mentioned Agile, for example, and that looks very solution focused, even though the vocabulary might be slightly different. There's a whole group of people who are working in iterative ways to make progress. Positive psychology, we know that that's not quite the same as solution focused, but there are some wonderful overlapping conversations to be had and things to learn from each other. So if we can get some of these neighboring, like-minded communities, people from those communities, to participate in this conference and this event, then we might spark off some more. And suppose this happens. What differences are you hoping from that for the future? I'm hoping that there will be more recognition and more practice of solution focused beyond therapy and coaching. It is already happening both under that name and it's happening in these connected spheres under different names with some differences. And there's been gradually increasing interest in, for example, solution-focused work in community action, political solution-focused work. And that's still, to me, seemingly at the early stages, and that the energy of the people who are familiar and excited about solution-focused can go into this, so that it becomes more obviously bigger and applicable outside of one-to-one conversation into forms of action that we do together and that start to make more of an impact in a very problem-saturated world and a world with many problems that doesn't have to be talked about in the way that it's talked about so much now through that problematic lens. So to talk more through the lens of what people want to see happening, what they've done well before, what they're inspired to do together to make progress in the future, setting directions rather than goals, all the things that we're familiar with within solution-focused world. The world maybe is more ready for it now, and events like this will start to put that to the world in a more coherent and organised form. Yeah, I have a metaphor for this. I'm afraid to say it involves motor cars, as most of my metaphors do. When the motor car was first invented, and uh, Benz produced his diesel engine for the first time in Germany, and then people started producing other types of engines and formats of cars and all the rest of it, they were all incredibly individualistic. They all had the same basic principle, but they were all very different. And then these engineers started talking amongst themselves, and they started to homogenize a little bit. And then they started looking at the problems and started developing solutions that were actually more efficient and more effective. And yet there was a huge resistance from politicians, from business people, who really didn't like this solution to the issues of transport, particularly around delivering food or removing waste and things like that in the cities. And there were all sorts of complaints against the way that these dirty objects, now maybe there's a bit of a point to be had there, but were going to pollute the atmosphere, which in actual fact they did. But what happened was that more and more people got together and they got more and more efficient and they got more and more effective. 
because they were looking at the best possible solutions for what was fast becoming an intractable problem. And I mean, when you've got something like a thousand tons of waste at night in London that needed to be transported and they were using the canals, then they had different ways of doing it. And this was for horse manure largely. But when the motor car came, all that waste that was lying around in the streets was no longer there. So there are all sorts of kind of spin-offs that occurred from this thing. And solution-focused, agile, positive psychology, all of these things have got slightly different ways of going about this process. But they're all seeking the most efficient way of moving forward, of identifying goals rather than solving problems. Whereas there's a huge group of people in the world who are absolutely determined that we can only solve problems and we can only do it in a certain way. And we're now riding that resistance. So that's why I see things like this as being so important and bringing people together, because it's an opportunity for lots of ideas to come together. Now, what comes out of it may not be a Mercedes-Benz. It may be something that we're completely unfamiliar with, but it may be far more efficient and far more effective than anything that we've conceived at the moment. But I do think that SF in particular is part of the genesis of this process. I think it's part of that because it's inviting different sorts of conversation, the way people talk and listen to each other. There are no shortage of ideas in the world, but often they are taken to a very polarised conversational debate and people aren't listening to each other. They're putting their own one idea forward. Often these are, in my view, very toxic ideas that they are putting forward or trying to hold on to ways that the world may have been once or may even never have been, holding on to some sort of myth or illusion and not listening to the possibilities of how things might be better and different, even if that does involve some transitions and some change. And solution-focused conversations from the very outset have been about listening and helping people to clarify what it is that they want that is sensible and makes a coherent idea within their own world that they can work towards with a sense of inspiration and possibility and resource. And that those kinds of conversations held collectively, respectfully acknowledging people's expertise and taking small steps towards them. There's a huge amount of room for that at the moment, and I think it will help to detoxify a lot of the discourse that's around at the moment. It's very exciting to listen to the two of you and what you say about the differences you see and also bringing fields together and also looking at your metaphor, Steve. It's like, you know, this conference will take place from August 6 to 7, but actually it already started. You gathered already more than 30 people. You had your three hours conference in May and it's evolving ever since. And I wonder what signs of progress you already notice up to now from the first time these ideas emerged. There are structural signs of progress. There are people in place to make it happen. A marketing team is starting to work on it. We're having these kinds of conversations. You're right to say it's already started happening. It's not just about the 6th and 7th. It's all the preparation that happens before and things that will continue to happen afterwards. And I'm excited by the program beginning to form, the topics that have been put forward, the formats in which we can have different types of conversation, maybe than we could have had at a face-to-face -face conference because we can use the technology and without being necessarily tremendously radical or inventive there are uses of that technology that people find very exciting people have loved going into small breakout rooms in zoom calls most people didn't know that was possible or that it would be good 
before it happened. Um, there's also countervailing complaints about Zoom fatigue, and we're going to structure the conference so that there's lots of variety, time for reflection, time to jump in and out. You can come and go when you want. It has all kinds of freedoms that comes with the possibilities and the constraints of technology too. Putting that together is beginning to look like a lot of fun. It's really interesting if you talk about the Zoom fatigue, because I never experienced that when I'm in solution-focused meetings, because you have this variety and you use, I don't know, music, you use the chat for doing things. So it's like really using these opportunities that technology gives us is amazing. And it's so much more than I think most of the people still see. So it's cool. Yeah, for me, the possibilities are almost endless. And one of the things that I've been fascinated about this whole process is, as Paul mentioned earlier, the spin-offs from this, that people are getting excited and are beginning to talk about possibility related to their own areas, things that possibly never be involved in or maybe not even be aware of, that are just kind of disappearing off into the undergrowth. And then a few months later, a few years later, we see something beautiful growing out of that. And all it took was one germ, one small idea that somebody took and went off with it. And that's the great thing for me, that nobody owns this. And I think that's the most important thing. And I, the thing I want to get across more than anything else, this is not about owning something. This is not about creating something that's a structure that stands there, a statue to SF or any, whatever else you like. It is a dynamic process that will change and grow hopefully, as the time goes on. And whether we have another conference next year at a similar sort of time and celebrate what happened this year or whether it's something completely different because things have moved on, it is dynamic. That's one thing about human beings is that we wake up every day. We're a different person to the person we were the day before. And SF wakes up every day. And every day it is a different organism because there's something new. And it's been a long-lasting story already over more than, you could say, 40 years or even longer, depending on how you want to tell the story. And ideas coming forward and moving along and then inspiring people to do things and inspiring other people to do things and things like that emerging. And that's one thing that fascinates me the most about solution folks right now to, well, in every conversation when people come, it's just this little moment of time that they talk about and things were there before, things will be there afterwards. And really also utilizing this story and all those elements that worked well before that might show them in the future and really seeing this as, yeah, this one moment in time that this becomes possible and also really we're curious to see what else will emerge and there are so many things that you don't even know that are happening for example we were in the loop with the emails and got the emails and we we're really excited we couldn't join the meetings but we're excited and told other people what's going on and that you're doing this conference and other people told other people and there are other things going on in the world inspired by all those things so i think that's really also valuable to make this visible how we're all connected and how we're all inspiring each other and supporting each other in creating such events that attract hopefully many people to sf i think that's right and there's this pulse of solution focus that is pumping the blood around that system and it's in the title of the conference, SF24, building hope. It's tapping into people's hope that they'd like to see something, whatever it might be, a bit different, and empowering change, the other part of the title. But it's not just inspiring your hope, it's saying, well, do something about it. Feel empowered to make your own move. Tell those other people who tell those other people. So even very small contributions are amplifying this positive energy of hope to make the difference. 
and it's built beat by beat in that way. Very elegant. So what do you think? How many people would come together at this conference? That's a great question. At the lower end, we have our Zoom accounts, which have 100 people can register. As soon as we go over 100, we have the expansion pack to 350. Elliot Connie in the US is talking about thousands. And we'll see. If people come, then we can build something that will accommodate them. If they don't, it's fine. We'll have great conversations with those who are there. But we are really looking outwards beyond the existing community. And the invitation is there. If the marketing's good, people will come and we'll have bigger conversations. So a thousand plus people joining? Yeah, I think it will be. Certainly measured in the hundreds, possibly a thousand. But maybe I'm wildly optimistic. So there's a pre-challenge I would love to give to the listeners of this week's podcast. I would love to invite you to talk about this conference, to share the idea with others and yeah, to help spread the word because it would be amazing listening to you, Steve and you, Paul, to have as many people as possible contributing in those dialogues around building hope and empowering change from all different fields. So feel invited, whatever you are doing, you're very welcome to be here. So, Steve, is there is one thing we have not yet talked about that people should know about this conference? What would that be? It's open to all, just a start. It's the beginning of a journey. It's a journey for all of us, and it's a journey that might take many different paths and achieve many different things. It is not an end in itself. It is merely a way station. And maybe there are many more way stations that will be organized by other people. And maybe after this one, Paul and I will reflect for a few months and then reluctantly admit that we might want to do another one. Or we might say we'd never, ever want to do another one. So, yeah, it's just a way station, a beginning. That's what I want people to know. Thank you. Paul, what is it for you? I would add that there is an opportunity for people to propose sessions and we can have as many parallel sessions as there's an interest in having. And we'll have some open space where people can invent sessions on the spot as well. And this means that the conference can be in as many different languages as people bring to it. So we've already had the suggestion that someone might want to do a case study in Romanian with a Romanian client. And that can be one of the parallel sessions that people who would understand that can go to. And then there's reflection sessions where people will meet people who've been to other breakouts and can share and exchange the top insights or the main ideas that came from those. And we'll aim to document them. So there will be an evolving and gathering mixing of ideas from around the world. One other thing, what we're planning to do, what we're hoping to do, Paul's just touched on this. We're hoping to record as much of it as we possibly can and archive it so that people can access it. And those archives will be open to all. They will not be restricted. They will be open to the public right across the world, whoever they are, so that the things that happen can be acknowledged and observed and seen and looked at by just about anybody who wants to take a look at it. It is not going to be restricted. It's going to be open access. Very cool. And how will people be able to register and when will that start? So to some extent, it's down to our marketing team. But the object of the exercise will be to, once we've started creating the Zoom links, they'll go out in emails, they'll go out in marketing materials, they'll go out on social media of all different types. Personally, I'm looking to advertise it within the British Psychological Society. They're anywhere where we can get the information out and people are prepared to share it. 
And the real key issue, I think, is for as many people as possible who get the emails to actually then share those emails and the invitations with other people around them. So it's kind of a spreading activation model rather than us targeting particular groups. And again, we'll see where it finishes up. It's going to be on Zoom, certainly for the European leg and other areas might have slightly different technologies. The common factor is that you can register for the region that you want to be part of, and you can be part of more than one region, of course. There will be a link that you click, and that will pick up your name and email and give you the passcodes or whatever is needed to attend the sessions. So save the date, 6th to 7th of August, 24 hours SF, SF24, Building Hope, Empowering Change, it's free and you'll find the link to the conference in the resource section of this podcast. And there you'll find also other things like the chance to make a video, for example, and to bring that to the conference. So come to the resource section of this podcast, go to www.sfontour.com slash Simply Focus Podcast and then go to episode number 105. Yeah, let's come to the challenge of the week, Paul and Steve. Yes, and it's prompted by what you have just said about making videos. We'd like to open at least the European, maybe other sections of the conference with a fanfare. And the current idea is that this will be a very tightly edited video compilation of practitioners from around the world. So the challenge of the week is to make a very short video of yourself or somebody near you asking a solution-focused question. I'm hoping that you, Dominic and Elfie, will ask the question on video, what fascinates you about solution focus? If anyone has their own question, then they make a very short video on your phone and you upload it into a Google document from which we will edit together a worldwide compilation of people asking solution focused questions. And this will be an opening fanfare that we can use within the event. And you will find the link to this Google Drive in the resource section of this podcast as well. And we now have to think really hard what question we will ask. <laughs> you can ask a different question. And of course, now we are curious to hear your solution-focused questions. And this time, don't comment in the comment section of this podcast. Go and make a video, ask this question, send it in, and be part of this worldwide compilation of solution-focused practitioners and solution-focused questions as a fanfare to SF24, Building Hope and Empowering Change. And of course, we are also curious to hear from you what inspired you about our conversation with Steve and Paul and also about this conference. So please let us know, comment in the comment field and share that with us to create even more momentum, inspiration and hope and power of change. So thank you very much for this moment in time that this can become possible, that we can share that in our networks, we can share that on our podcast, we can be part of that and also be part of this solution-focused journey that we're all part of. I would also love to thank each and everyone who has been involved so far in co-creating this conference and bringing all these amazing ideas together. And yeah, I think it's really co-creating with each other together this beautiful thing that hopefully will move on for a long time. 
I would just like to say that the enthusiasm from every other person that has been involved in this directly, all those people on the mailing lists that get the emails, that are doing the work, that are planning it, I just want to say a big thank you to them because they're making it happen. We were lucky enough to be at the beginning of this process, but as it grows, they are the people that are really making it happen. And there are so many names, so many wonderful people that have come on board, and I just want to say thank you to them. So thank you and thank you for also being part of that and being part of the start and also inviting people to be able to join like that. And we are looking forward to being awake 24 hours and yeah, joining this conference. And we hope that everybody out there is excited to join this conference too. So again, August 6th to 7th, reserve 24 hours, save the date and be part of those different legs of this conference worldwide. And if you have already any ideas of how to stay awake for 24 hours. Share that in the comment section as well. Let's inspire each other to participate as long as possible. So again, thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.